This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we've got a few minutes, and uh, I want to jump in and finish our series. We've been talking about the case for Christ in preparation for Easter. We talked a little bit about uh, the, the book and the movie that recently came out based on Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. We've talked about um, investigating the case for Christ and understanding the, 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 the evidence that exists to support the case for the resurrection and talked about what it means to embrace the truth of the gospel. That was just last Sunday. So I want to finish by talking for just a few minutes this morning about how to explain this good news. You know, um, and... <laughs> see? Yeah, see? That's why we don't just give this out. Okay. <laughs> that whole turning around thing, that used to have a laser, but it burns holes in my shirt, so they... Anyway, no. Um, you know, Jesus consistently taught something about the gospel. From the very first call that Jesus extended, when he said to those that he invited to follow him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The contrast was with what they used to do for a living. Now instead of that, with the same vigor and the same focus, now they're going to devote their energy to reaching others with the gospel. That was at the very beginning of his ministry, all the way to the very end of his ministry after his resurrection when he said, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit and then you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every single person. From the beginning to the end of what Jesus did, he said the same thing, that the world needs to know that eternal life is a gift received through faith. Isn't it interesting that never did Jesus say that the whole world should go to church? Instead, he said the church should go to the whole world. That has been the focus from day one. If you attend Crossroads and you haven't heard that yet, you've not been listening. We are not here for ourselves. We are here for those who will hear it next. In one of Jesus' most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked a little bit about how he would characterize those who follow him. And those two characteristics, those two metaphors are really interesting. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 5. Or you can use one of the blue uh, hardcover Bibles, and we'll, we'll project the, the passage up here too, if you'd like to just follow along. But in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, at one point Jesus says this. Matthew 5.13, he said, You are the salt of the earth. He's describing those who would follow him, and he says, You guys are like salt. And we think, strange. We are condiments. Right? I mean, when, when you and I hear that verse, that's what we think of. Right? Said, we are salt. Is, is, that, a, is that an insult? Is, is that a compliment? I mean, I, how do you feel about salt? Do you have strong feelings about salt? I mean, and so I guess to understand what the import of what he's saying, we have to understand a little bit more about their culture. See, 
Jesus didn't get his salt like this. Nobody in Palestine did. In Jesus' day, uh, salt was, uh, how do I say, so many things we come by so easily that we tend to place zero value on salt. But in Jesus' day, salt was a, an important, not just flavor additive, but a preservative. Think about a world where there is no refrigerator. How do you store anything? How do you, how do you be prepared for tomorrow in any way? The idea of preserving a little bit of today's food for tomorrow was key to just surviving. And salt played a huge role in that, both preserving from, from uh, molding and those kind of things to dehydrating, drawing moisture out. Salt played a big part. Salt played a part in things like uh, medical care and antiseptics and those kind of things. In fact, it, it was so much more important to their culture than we would know. It, it enhanced taste. It preserved food from spoilage. Uh, in a culture that was, uh, a geography that was desert-like, even, even the thing that we take for granted, you know, we, if we're a little low on electrolytes, we chug a little of a sports drink. And, and yet salt even played an important part in just being able to function. So Jesus says, this thing that's so fundamental to our life, this stuff that we need and use every day, that's you guys. In relationship to the earth, and he means the people, do, do his followers enhance enjoyment? Well, maybe, like a seasoning. Do we bring a preserving effect? Well, the hope would be yes. I think probably in this context, this idea of producing a thirst might be the, mo the biggest idea that he was going for. You see, salt produces a thirst. And he wanted his followers to understand that one of the roles that we play is to produce in people a thirst for God. But he also said this, not only are you the light of the salt of the earth, but you are the light of the world. Now, light is another thing that we tend to take for granted. Um, if you have ever been someplace out in the sticks, I remember when my wife and I first moved to Pennsylvania from South Florida, and I remember the very first thing she said, we got to this, we rented this little house, and she said, it's so dark here. Now, I liked being out in the woods, and this past summer we were camping for a few weeks way up in the woods in New York, and it was a lot of fun to turn out all of our lights, let our campfire burn out. No human light anywhere. Literally could not see anything in front of your face. I know because I tested it on my wife a few times. <laughs> She thought I was so funny. Um, not, not so much. Anyway. If you have ever been in the dark, you've learned some things that you didn't realize. Like, when you are really in the dark, even a little bit of light makes a big difference. You can flick a lighter and it feels like, whoa, whoa, that's so bright. We live in a morally dark world. Darkness seems to creep in at every spot. He says, you are the light of the world. When light is needed in this setting, it's not for ambiance. Oh, isn't this warm and lovely? No, they need light <laughs> to function, to do what's necessary. 
you know, having light at home, you may not think, oh, well, the bulb is out. But when you're camping and you're trying to make your dinner and you can't see what you're doing, when you're in the middle of Palestine and you can't find the things that you... Suddenly, wait, this isn't for ambiance. This isn't for comfort. This, this is to be able to get things done that I need to do. Now, in this context, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. I'm going to suggest that that hill is the gospel. A life built on the gospel is supposed to stand out. It's supposed to be unique, different. It's supposed to catch people's attention. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus said his followers should be like lights that enable people to, do, to see what they're doing and to see where they're going. Over and over again, Jesus made it clear that our role as his followers is to share the gospel and bring that preservative, thirst-building light into their lives. Jesus clearly intended for us to share the gospel. So the last few weeks we've been talking about the evidence for the resurrection. I'm just wondering how many of you have had a chance to debate the evidence for the resurrection with someone in the last few weeks? That's kind of what I thought. Me either. Another sermon series wasted. Truth is, it's probably true that no one has approached you and said, hey, you wouldn't happen to have evidence for the resurrection, huh? I'm just thinking they didn't. Or you didn't overhear somebody in the lunchroom. He did not rise from the dead. What I think, and, there, and you got a chance to insert yourself and bring clarity to the conversation. So then, this is, I just is this fair of Jesus? We have all these, this is the kind of a church talk where we talk about, oh, Jesus wants us to reach the world. And then we walk out, we all know the same thing. We're not talking to anybody. And nobody's going to talk to us. I don't know about you, but if what Jesus said really doesn't impact, really isn't reality, then I'm not sure I want to spend any more time in it. What, what am I missing? Where is the disconnect between this command, this key part of who he says we're supposed to be, and what my weekly experience is? Are my, does he send opportunities and I'm just blind to them? Or do opportunities to share the gospel really only come once in a while like a miracle? Coworker falls to their knees. What must I do to be saved? And apart from that, good luck. Do we see opportunities more often than we say? We're just refusing to do anything? How do we explain the fact that we haven't been doing what Jesus seems to be teaching us? Well, the Apostle Peter wrote to a church. He wrote to a church that was very much like ours. A church that's living in a culture that didn't agree with the gospel and resented their positions at times. Other times just simply thought that the church of Christ was irrelevant to what was important to them. Peter wrote to them about this very thing. And I want to share a couple of these thoughts with you before we go and wrap up the series. So 
Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter 3.15, we read this. But, Peter says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this in, with gentleness and respect. How in the world can we expect to actually share or explain the good news with anybody? I think the first point I want to just direct your attention to is simply this. It starts with what he says at the beginning. Revere Christ as Lord. Revere, respect, honor. Over and over again. Make fishers, you're going to be fishers of men. Go into all the world. This was such a key part of what Jesus said. I was listening to Greg Laurie, Harvest International, this big, kind of like a Billy Graham type crusade program. I remember hearing him give his testimony a little bit about when he came to faith and his friend, his best friend's, was concerned that he was kind of going to become one of these Jesus freaks. This is back in those Jesus people days. And Greg Laurie assured his friend, don't worry. I'm not going to become one of those people that like wears a big cross and carries his Bible everywhere. Two weeks later, Greg Laurie was standing on a corner with this cross around his neck holding his Bible when his friend came up. And he realized, oops. Actually, I remember that. My parents did everything they could to make sure I wasn't exposed to like religion in general. I go to some meeting, come back, and I'm born again. And their biggest worry was that I was going to become some kind of a zealot who stands on street corners handing out leaflets. And a month later, I'm standing on street corners handing out leaflets. <laughs> that was their greatest fear. And to me, it made perfect sense. And yet, then I could see the look in their face. I realized, ah, uh, Boy, this is exactly what, uh, yeah, but see, you don't understand. This is important. There's a tension that existed. You see, acting like Jesus is your Lord will actually show. Even when you don't want it to. One of my biggest fears is that somebody's going to think I'm kind of a, like a, a wacko. I catch myself all the time as I'm, I see an opportunity to share the gospel and I hear the talk to myself. I think, okay, okay, let's just make sure that they understand that this is reasonable. This is reasonable. I'm not like some snake handler or whatever. I'm not afraid of things that go bump in the night and therefore I... Uh, this is reasonable. For some reason to Mike Hobb, it's important that, I, that they know that this is reasonable. And that desire, which sounds reasonable can be the, the very tool that stops me from sharing the gospel. And sometimes the only way I can be more effective if I stop and say, I don't really need so much to be reasonable. I need to open my mouth. It's up to them whether they think I'm reasonable. And what I found out in my own experience is if they come to faith, it will be reasonable. It just doesn't make sense beforehand. You see... Revering Christ as our Lord really does show, even if it comes out kind of silly, kind of goofy, kind of, you can see it on their face. I, I, I think I know what you think of me right now, but I can't help it. Do you see the alternative? Them thinking well of us means them knowing nothing about Jesus. In the movie, A Case for Christ, there's a scene that I'd like to show you. It's actually... 
if you know anything about the storyline, it's the very beginning of Les, Lee Strobel's wife's experience. It's her very first introduction to this woman who is obviously a Christian. You'll see the setting. And then later, this woman begins to, continues to have a relationship with Leslie and continues to invite her to things, invites her to a Bible study, eventually is, plays a key role in her coming to faith. But I thought it might be interesting for us to just take a look at what it looks like when it started for them. So simple. If a woman is willing to listen to these hard-to-prove little inklings, no, you know what, I think we should go to that place. And then because she is there, she is able to intervene in a setting and then to say, no, oh, well, I've been trained as a nurse. I took a CPR course. All that would have been reasonable. Would you have said, you got to thank Jesus? What? We weren't going to come here, but Jesus seemed to be telling us we need to be here tonight. Is that going to put somebody in heaven? Could that prompt the next conversation? Oh, yes. I watch that and I ask myself, given those opportunities, am I willing to give credit to Christ? Was I listening to him ahead of time? Did he indeed kind of say, why don't you guys go to that place instead? Did he say that? And am I willing to go, um, this is not an accident? What? I'm one of those wacko Jesus followers. Sometimes he directs me, and he made it clear that I'm supposed to be here today. You see, revering Christ, the very beginning of what Paul, Peter says here, revere him as Lord, means we act like we are followers of his. Hmm. I realize that perhaps some of my behavior needs to change. See, if we are going to act like we are subjecting ourselves to Jesus' rule on a daily basis, regardless of how it might make us look to somebody else, things are going to change. We're going to say, well, praise the Lord. Huh? I was praying about just this. Really? Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. We prayed for this. We who? What? If that becomes a part, no, please, don't say it if you didn't do it. But when we revere the Lord, we pray to him, we listen to him, and then when a door swings open, it shows that we are a city set on a hill. Now, we said Jesus is our example here. So what would this look like if Jesus was your next-door neighbor? What if Jesus was your coworker? How would Jesus display this kind of behavior? And it starts with that idea of prayer. It starts with lifting other people to him. Thinking about, you know, talking to somebody at work starts before you go to work. It starts when you're getting ready in the morning and you're thinking through your day and you say, God, would you open an opportunity and would you please make sure that I'm aware of it and then give me the courage to step through it and to speak up? Would you do that today? Jesus prayed for the people that he loved. And we're not going to take a lot of time this morning because the, the one example I'll give you is, is powerful enough. Do you realize that when they were nailing Jesus to the cross, as they were driving those spikes into his hands, and the Greek kind of has this sense that it was an ongoing prayer. What did he say? Father, 
forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. As they were torturing him, I think it's safe to say he prayed for those that he wanted to reach. So if you are convicted like I am, that I have not seen enough people respond to or hear the gospel recently, maybe it starts by praying more. Oh, not praying for God's blessing, praying for success, praying for protection. I'm talking about a specific prayer that says, God, would you open an opportunity for the gospel? Now, um, some of you are deathly afraid of sharing your gospel, sharing, sharing the gospel with somebody. You're, you're just... just petrifies you. You may not ever come back to Crossroads after this message. You just, this terrifies you. And so I've got good news for you. I am actually authorized to give you a hall pass. Oh yeah, I am. Talk to Jesus. He said it's fine. I can give you a pass. I'm going to give you a 30-day pass. You don't have to witness to somebody for 30 days. No, no guilt, nothing. There is something you have to do, however. You notice in in, in the notes in your bulletin, there's a little circle there on, on the notes. Yeah, take that out, look at it, a little circle. I would like you to think of the name of one person that you believe needs to, need, needs to come to faith in Christ. Go ahead, think of a name. Friend, family, coworker, spouse, neighbor, just a name. Now, I wish we had time today. I'd love to hear about which name you picked. Some of you picked the most close, intimate person. Some of you picked the most impossible person you could think of. Whatever, I don't care who you picked. Pick a name. You got a name in your head? Okay, now in that little circle, draw their picture. Draw their face. Go ahead. I'll give you a minute. Go ahead. Just draw their little face. This is your whole pass. If you want to get out of, you know, the responsibility to witness this week, this you, so put the little face, put their name above it, right? Here's, here's the agreement. You're going to pray every day for the next 30 days for them. You don't have to talk to them. You're just going to pray for them. You're going to pray at a specific time every day, in a specific place every day, same time, same place, 30 days in a row. On day 26, if you skip, you start over at 1. (laughs) It only takes three or four minutes. Same time. Same place, here we go, Here's the, you're going to actually get someplace and kneel. None of those national public radio prayers as you're driving down the road. Oh, by the way, I pray for, uh-uh, no, no, no. 30 days, same place, same time, get in the position, kneel. God, I want to pray for my neighbor, Tim. He needs to hear the gospel. Please save him. Amen. There, you're done. Do that for 30 days in a row. Same time, same same place, same position, 30 days. If after 30 days you would like to re-up and get another 30-day pass, just come see me. And we can even extend it for 30 days. But I just want to warn you. When you begin to pray every day that intentionally for one person to come to faith, it is possible that something very strange will begin to happen. That person is going to get reassigned to the cubicle next to you. They're going to start sitting at your lunch table. They're going to join your basketball team, your hockey team, your your whatever. They're going to join. They're going to move next door. You'll be like, are you kidding me? 
they've never spoken to you, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, Mike, how's it going? How's your day? Well, how's your week? What? Or suddenly you're going to hear like, wait, Tim, what's wrong? My mom, she's, they, they just called. She's in the hospital, and I was like, and you're going you're gonna to get a shiver. You're going to realize something. Jesus listens to your prayers. You better be ready. Because most of you will not come back and ask for another 30-day pass. You'll be too busy explaining the gospel to the people that God has brought into your life. Secondly, he says, Revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. What does that look like? How can I always be ready for everything? We are not talking about a debate, you guys. We're talking about a dialogue. The good news is Jesus actually asked more questions than he gave answers. It's okay to ask questions. Hey, I heard you talking. Do you, do you go to a church? Oh, what kind of a church is it? Oh, how long have you been doing that? Oh, well, so tell me why going to church is important to you. Oh, what does your church believe? So, uh, even like about heaven, hell, Jesus, what's it believe? Huh, what do you think it takes to have eternal life? Do you know where you're going to speak? And you just ask the questions, and they will do the work. How can we be always prepared? It's actually not as hard as it sounds. Some of you know that I actually kind of enjoy apologetics and debates. But the problem with me saying that is somehow you, it's easy for you to think, well, see, I can't do that. Mike does that. I can't do that. That's not what he's asked for here. Uh, in fact, we were talking earlier about the service. The best ex explanation of this is like musicians. If you know a musician who's pretty well-trained, what's neat about musicians who are well-trained is, is that sometimes they can do stuff and they don't have to practice. Amen? Okay. Uh, sometimes it's hard to pull the team together. But you know what? When you play long enough, you don't have to practice a specific song. Uh, it's in the key of G. It's RB this, that. You're going to do 16 bars. We're going to do this. And it's two, three, four. Studio musicians walk into the studio, sit down with some, and they just play together like they've been doing it forever. Experience can make you ready to kind of be spontaneous. So if you are praying for people and you are thinking through, boy, how does Jesus... Jesus, what do you do about this thing, this issue? What, how, how does it apply to me? And then it opens up in your life and you say, I was thinking about that. You know, I was wondering, what would it be like? And before you know it, you just improv and you get a chance to have a conversation. You don't have to tell them why they're wrong. You can ask about what they think. You gain experience by trying, by failing. And you get better and better. In this passage, he says, be ready to, to give an answer. To give an answer, that implies that they're asking questions. The, the level one training like this is learning how to get people to ask you questions. Wow, so what does your church believe about, um, like, after we die? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, my church? Yeah, <laughs> and you wait. And guess what? You've asked them, and you're quiet, and... It's a rare day when they won't go, what about you guys? What do you believe? Funny you should ask. Level one is just learning how to get people to ask you questions. Level two is learning how to get them to listen to your answer. But all of this comes with just a little bit of practice. He says, ask them 
for the reason, for the hope that you have. What hope? That goes back to revering Christ, doesn't it? Okay. If you look like you were weaned on pickle juice at work, okay? if you look like you've been soaking and souring for the last decade, no one's going to come and say, hey, I think I want what you got. It's more like, tell me how you got what you got, because I don't want to get it. Well, Mike, okay, I'm, I'm not the happiest person. Fix it. Well, I'm just not the most outgoing. Fix it. Well, you, you don't understand. I'm a quiet person. That's not, that's not what I'm like. I got news for you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. He's a, he's a people person. He's outgoing. He cares about these people. And guess what? He is happy. He is happy. I'm not feeling it. Well, then get with the Spirit. Get quiet for a minute and go, what is, what is my problem? The Spirit says, that's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> Why am I so down? I don't know. Why are you so down? What's your problem? You don't even know what the Father might have planned for today. Why? What? You know something? The Spirit says, I ain't telling. <laughs> He's a people person. So just tune into that. <clears throat> what would it be like if Jesus lived next door to you? We don't have time this morning, but do you know that constantly Jesus' door was open to people that had questions? Constantly people coming. Some of the questions were hostile. What gives this man the right to heal on the Sabbath? And some of the questions were genuine. What must I do to be saved? And sometimes the questions came from people who should know better. Remember John the Baptist? The guy who said, this is the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. And then later, when he's in prison, he says, hey, go test. Go, you guys go talk to Jesus, ask him, is he the Messiah or not? John the Baptist had to go send and say, so I'm just checking. You still, is this it? Why did he ask? Because things weren't going well for him, and he was struggling. And do you know how Jesus responded? He said, hey, you guys, go tell John what you see. Tell him about the lives you see changed. Tell him about the power of the message that you see going out. You go tell him what's happening. But then under his breath, Jesus said, what's wrong with John, loser? No, he didn't. In fact, right after that interaction, and those guys go back to tell John, Jesus says this about John. I tell you, among those born of women, there is none, no one greater than John. Jesus wasn't upset with John because he had questions. As he had doubts. But it starts with being willing to be honest about your questions. It's so powerful that when you're talking to somebody, you say, to be honest, it just happened just a few weeks ago. I was talking to somebody and I said, look, the problem I have with all these church people is if God is so good and he loves everybody, I don't understand why he would even allow the, some of the stuff that's going on in the world. And I said, ha, ha. Man, I have had that question too, and it is probably one of the hardest questions I've ever had to try to find. In fact, I'm not, I'm not sure I've got a satisfactory answer. I was quiet, and they went, what? They wanted to hear at least the beginning of what I was going to say next. He doesn't look down on questions. One last thing. He says, revere Christ as Lord and be ready always to give an answer for the reason that you hope. Of the hope. And he says in this last point, the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and reverence.
hope. Helping people understand that there's another opportunity. There's another perspective. They may not know everything. You may have discovered something that's worth finding. Isaac Newton said uh, that tact is the ability, the skill of making a point without making an enemy. Making a point without making an enemy. You see, the gospel is supposed to affect the way we live or should at least affect how we are trying to live. Do you realize it is every bit as effective to explain to somebody what you were trying to do even though you failed as it is to tell them what you, show them what you're doing right? Do you think what's keeping them away from the gospel is the fact that What impression do they have of us? We're fine now. We've got it together now. You will, you should be, you, you'll want to be like me. Then you'll be happier. Sometimes the best thing we can do is say, I've got to be honest. Sometimes I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do. Well, welcome to the human race. It's just nice to know that I'm still loved and forgiven. Hmm. If Jesus lived next door, if Jesus lived next door to you, he would be the guy that would be there to help you fix your lawnmower, to catch your dog when he gets out, to notice that your paper landed in the puddle again. You know what I was convicted about this week? I don't have enough time to be nice. Oh, I'm too busy. Jesus made sure he was available if people had a need. We're really good at ducking. You can almost tell when somebody has a need. Whoa, I'm out of here. Because whatever it is, I don't have time this week. I simply put, folks, and I'm preaching to me. Some of you are going to hold me to it, I know. We are then, then we are just too busy. Period. I don't know what it is we're doing, but it's, it's not as important as the person who needs to hear the gospel next. We're going to close with this. Colossians 4. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Hey, that sounds interesting, like we've just heard it recently. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Stop. Who is writing this? Paul. If the Apostle Paul has to ask other people to pray for him so that he has the courage to speak up and the ability to speak plainly, that's Paul. Who have you called lately? Say, hey, by the way, uh, just pray for me today that I would notice if an opportunity opens and that I'd be bold enough to take that opportunity if it opens and then that I would say the right thing and not make an idiot out of Christ. Wow. If God answered every single one of your prayers this past week, if God answered every single prayer you uttered, would anyone have gotten saved this week? Oh, grandma's ingrown toenail would heal. The spare would get air back in it. Your IRS tax return would come immediately. 
but would, any, would anyone have gotten saved? Do we love Jesus? Is he our Lord? Do we really intend to follow him? Then we all have to kind of do some reorienting. The last thing he said was, go. If you don't do it at your job or in your neighborhood, God is going to make you go with Chelsea to Cambodia. <laughs> you know what's funny? And I, I think she would admit this too. Sometimes when we go to, the, to Cambodia or the Philippines, we actually are a little quicker to share. We realize, this is not my home. Why am I here? Oh, that's right. But when we're here so comfortable, we forget why we're here. I am not fussing at you. I'm asking you to pray for me. Jesus died for this. I don't think there's anything more important than watching for opportunities to just share. Do you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I guess we have to simply confess. We love it when you love us, and we love it when you save us. And then we just forget about everyone else. Let the world go to hell as we sit on our comfy couch and watch our favorite shows. But if we really revere you as Lord, our lifestyles are going to have to change. And some people are going to think that we have just dropped off the, the, the edge, that we've become a fanatic, that suddenly now their whole life is about Jesus. And we would say, actually, yes. But we cannot do this by sheer will. And so I'm going to invite you to pray for me, to pray for one another, to pick that one person and begin praying for them. I dare us. I picked my person. And I've said this in front of my wife, so now I promise. Pray for them. Ask God to open a door. Ask for boldness to speak up when the door swings open and ask for clarity to know what to say. And then when it's all over, come running back to somebody and say, let me tell you what happened. How could I get better? Lord Jesus, you love them just like you love us. You came to redeem them just like you came to redeem us. It's hard for us to imagine, but actually they are every bit as important to you as we are. So teach us to revere you as Christ, as our Lord. May our lives be like a city set on a hill. I pray that we could not escape that label. Well, he is clearly, she is clearly one of those Jesus followers. God help us all. Which is exactly what you want to do. Make this so. According to your will, by the Spirit's power, 
ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.